Chapter 15 of Etiquette. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Clarica. Etiquette in Society, in Business, in Politics, and at Home by Emily Post. Chapter 15 Dinner Giving with Limited Equipment. The Service Problem. People who live all year in the country are not troubled with formal dinner-giving, because, excepting on great estates, formality and the country do not go together. For the one or two formal dinners which the average city-dweller feels obliged to give every season, nothing is easier than to hire professionals. It is also economical, since nothing is wasted in experiment. A cook equal to the gilding's chef can be had to come in and cook your dinner at about the price of two charwomen. Skilled butlers or waitresses are to be had in all cities of any size at comparatively reasonable fees. The real problem is in giving the innumerable casual and informal dinners for which professionals are not only expensive but inappropriate. The problem of limited equipment would not present great difficulty if the tendency of the age were toward a slower pace, but the opposite is the case. No one wants to be kept waiting a second at table and the world of fashion is growing more impatient and critical instead of less. The service of a dinner can, however, be much simplified and shortened by choosing dishes that do not require accessories. Dishes that have accompanying condiments Nothing so delays the service of a dinner as dishes that must immediately be followed by necessary accessories. If there is no one to help the butler or waitress, no dish must be included on the menu, unless you are only one or two at table or unless your guests are neither critical nor modern, that is not complete in itself. For instance, fish has nearly always an accompanying dish. Broiled fish, or fish monnier, has ice-cold cucumbers sliced as thin as Saratoga chips, with a very highly seasoned French dressing, or a mixture of cucumbers and tomatoes. Boiled fish always has mousseline, hollandaise, mushroom or egg sauce, and round-scooped boiled potatoes sprinkled with parsley. Fried fish must always be accompanied by tartar sauce and pieces of lemon, and a boiled fish, even if covered with sauce when served, is usually followed by additional sauce. Many meats have condiments. Roast beef is never served at a dinner party. It is a family dish and generally has Yorkshire pudding or roast potatoes on the platter with the roast itself, and is followed by pickles or spiced fruit. Turkey, likewise, with its chestnut stuffing and accompanying cranberry sauce, is not a company dish, though excellent for an informal dinner. Saddle of mutton is a typical company dish. All mutton has currant jelly. Lamb has mint sauce or mint jelly. Partridge or guinea hen must have two sauce boats, presented on one tray. Brown bread crumbs in one and cream sauce in the other. Apple sauce goes with barnyard duck. The best accompaniment to wild duck is the precisely timed eighteen minutes in a quick oven, and celery salad, which goes with all game, need not be especially hurried. Salad is always the accompaniment of tame game, aspics, cold meat dishes of all sorts, and is itself accompanied by crackers and cheese, or cheese souffle, or cheese straws. Special Menus of Unaccompanied Dishes one person can wait on eight people if dishes are chosen which need no supplements. The fewer the dishes to be passed, the fewer the hands needed to pass them. 
and yet many housekeepers thoughtlessly order dishes within the list above, and then wonder why the dinner is so hopelessly slow when their waitress is usually so good. The following suggestions are merely offered in illustration. Each housekeeper can easily devise further for herself. It is not necessary to pass anything whatever with melon or grapefruit, or a macedoina fruit, or a canapé. Oysters, on the other hand, have to be followed by Tabasco and buttered brown bread. Soup needs nothing with it, if you do not choose split pea, which needs croutons, or petite marmite, which needs grated cheese. Fish dishes which are made with sauce in the dish, such as sole au vin blanc, lobster Newburgh, crave ravigote, fish mousse, especially if in a ring filled with plenty of sauce, do not need anything more. Tartar sauce for fried fish can be put in baskets made of hollowed-out lemon rind, a basket for each person, and used as a garnishing around the dish. Filet mignon or fillet of beef, both of them surrounded by little clumps of vegetables, share with chicken casserole and being the life-savers of the hostess, who has one waitress in her dining-room. Another dish, but more appropriate to lunch than to dinner, is of French chops banked against mashed potatoes, or puree of chestnuts, and surrounded by string beans or peas. None of these dishes requires any following dish whatever, not even a vegetable. Fried chicken with corn fritters on the platter is almost as good as the two beef dishes, since the one green vegetable which should go with it can be served leisurely, because fried chicken is not quickly eaten. And a ring of aspic with salad in the center does not require accompanying crackers as immediately as plain lettuce. Steak and broiled chicken are fairly practical, since neither needs gravy, condiment, or sauce, especially if you have a divided vegetable dish so that two vegetables can be passed at the same time. If a hostess chooses not necessarily the dishes above, but others which approximately take their places, she need have no fear of a slow dinner, if her one butler or waitress is at all competent. THE POSSIBILITIES OF THE PLAIN COOK in giving informal or little dinners, you need never worry because you cannot set the dishes of a professional dinner-party cook before your friends or even strangers, so long as the food that you are offering is good of its kind. It is by no means necessary that your cook should be able to make the clear soup that is one of the tests of the perfect cooked, and practically never produced by any other, nor is it necessary that she be able to construct comestible mosaics and sculptures. The essential thing is to prevent her from attempting anything she can't do well. If she can make certain dishes that are pretty well as good to taste, so much the better. But remember, the more pretentious a dish is, the more it challenges criticism. If your cook can make neither clear nor cream soup, but can make a delicious clam chowder, better far to have a clam chowder. On no account let her attempt clear green turtle, which has about as good a chance to be perfect as a supreme of bone capon. In other words, none whatsoever. And the same way throughout dinner. Whichever dishes your own particular Nora or Selma or Marie can do best, those are the ones you must have for your dinners. Another thing, it is not important to have variety. Because you gave the Normans chicken casserole the last time they dined with you is no reason why you should not give it to them again, if that is the speciality of the house, as the French say. A late and greatly loved hostess whose Sunday luncheons at a huge country house just outside of Washington were for years one of the outstanding features of Washington's smartest society, had the same lunch exactly, week after week, 
year after year. Those who went to her house knew just as well what the dishes would be as they did where the dining-room was situated. At her few enormous and formal dinners in town, her cook was allowed to be magnificently architectural, but if you dined with her alone, the chances were ten to one that the Sunday chicken and pancakes would appear before you. Do not experiment for strangers. Typical dinner-party dishes are invariably the temptation, no less than the downfall, of ambitious ignorance. Never let an inexperienced cook attempt a new dish for company, no matter how attractive her description of it may sound. Try it out yourself, or when you are having family or most intimate friends who will understand, if it turns out all wrong, that it is a trial dish. In fact, it is a very good idea to share the testing of it with someone who can help you in suggestions, if they are needed for its improvement. Or supposing you have a cook who is rather poor on all dinner dishes, but makes delicious bread and cake and waffles and oyster stew and cream chicken, or even hash. You can make a speciality of asking people to supper. Suppers are necessarily informal, but there is no objection in that. Formal parties play a very small role, anyway, compared to informal ones. There are no end of people, and the smartest ones at that, who entertain only in the most informal possible way. Mrs. Old Name gives at most two formal dinners a year. Her typical dinners and suppers are for eight. Proper Dishing The dishing is quite as important as the cooking. A smear or thumb mark on the edge of a dish is like a spot on the front of a dress. Water must not be allowed to collect at the bottom of a dish. That is why a folded napkin is always put under boiled fish, and sometimes under asparagus. And dishes must be hot. They cannot be too hot. Meat juice that has started to crust is nauseating. Far better to have food too hot to eat and let people take their time eating it than that others should suffer the disgust of cold victuals. Sending in cold food is one of the worst faults, next to not knowing how to cook, that a cook can have. Professional or Home Dining Room Service Just as it is better to hire a professional dinner party cook than to run the risk of attempting a formal dinner with your own Nora or Selma unless you are very sure she is adequate, in the same way it is better to have a professional waitress as captain over your own, or a professional butler over your own inexperienced one, than to have your meal served in spasms and long pauses. But if your waitress, assisted by the chambermaid, perfectly waits on six, you will find that they can very nicely manage ten, even with accompanied dishes. Blunders in Service If an inexperienced servant blunders, you should pretend, if you can, not to know it. Never attract anyone's attention to anything by apologizing or explaining, unless the accident happens to a guest. Under ordinary circumstances, least said, soonest mended, is the best policy. If a servant blunders, it makes the situation much worse to take her to task, the cause being usually that she is nervous or ignorant. Speak, if it is necessary to direct her, very gently and as kindly as possible, your object being to restore confidence, not to increase the disorder. Beckon her to you, and tell her as you might tell a child you were teaching. Give Mrs. Smith a tablespoon, not a teaspoon. Or, you have forgotten the fork on that dish. Never let her feel that you think her stupid, but encourage her as much as possible, and when she does anything especially well, tell her so. THE ENCOURAGEMENT OF PRAISE Nearly all people are quick to censure, but rather chary of praise. 
Admonish, of course, where you must, but censure only with justice, and don't forget that whether of high estate or humble, we all of us like praise sometimes. When a guest tells you your dinner is the best he has ever eaten, remember that the cook cooked it and tell her it was praised. Or if the dining-room service was silent and quick and perfect, then tell those who served it how well it was done. If you are entertaining all the time, you need not commend your household after every dinner you give, but if any especial willingness, attentiveness, or tact is shown, don't forget that a little praise is not only merest justice, but is beyond the purse of no one. End of chapter 15